So we're spending 11 months on the life of Jesus, and actually we, we spend a lot more time than that. A lot of our talks, most of our talks are going to have something to do with Jesus as we make him high and lift it up, but we're really spending this year to look specifically at him, and, and it already feels like we're skipping things that we really wish we didn't have to skip. There's so much that goes on in the early days, and, and last week as Pastor Brian spoke about the baptism of Jesus by his first cousin, John the Baptist, it's such an important moment. Because from that moment on, we are in the public ministry life of Jesus. So from the moment Jesus came onto the scene and his first cousin, John, the forerunner said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he came into the water and John said, I'm not sure what you're doing here. You should be baptizing me. He said, no, 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 we need to do this so everyone can see it. And so he goes into the water and comes back out and everything truly changes in that moment. There's been a lot we don't know about the life of Christ until that moment. But from here on out, we're going to know a lot, not as much as we, as we could or, or wish we had, but we know a lot from this point on. And Jesus actually talks about how key this moment is later on. You don't have to turn your Bibles to this passage. If you want to, you can go ahead and find Matthew chapter four. That's where we're going to be looking at a lot of different texts today, but Matthew chapter four is going to be our, our, our main text today. But later on in the book of Matthew, in chapter 11, Jesus actually refers back to his baptism by John. And he lets us know that that moment was actually a way of showing a fulfillment of prophecy from Micah chapter two. And in Micah chapter two, verse 13, it says, someone will open the way and lead people out. The people will break through the gate, break every chain and leave the city where they were held captive. Their king will go out in front of them and the Lord will lead them. So this idea from the Old Testament is that God is gathering his people together like sheep in a pen and then someone comes into the pen and breaks open the gate, whether they open the gate, the, the language seems like it was forcefully opened and from that moment on, a king comes into the pen and that shepherd king emerges and leads his people out and they follow him. So from this moment on, John has broken open the way. He has shown the way to Jesus. And now people who were paying close attention would realize this is the shepherd king we have been waiting for. His name is Jesus. And we can all follow him together. So then where does he go after that? I mean, now he's broken onto the scene. He's fulfilling prophecy again. And where does he go? Well, Jesus goes immediately into the wilderness. Matthew chapter four, verse one, tells us that Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I wanna show you what the wilderness looked like that Jesus was led into. Throw that picture up there, guys. That is the Judean wilderness. And I have been on a, on a tour bus with some of you and hopefully we'll do it with some more of you in, in the future. And on the side of the road, we were given the opportunity to get out and walk up on top of a hill and look. And as far as the eye can see, it just goes on and on and on. There's a terrifying beauty to the wilderness. And perhaps because the children of Israel spent 40 years in a desert, the son of God saw fit to spend 40 days in a desert. He was fasting during this entire time and tempted by Satan personally. Now understand when Jesus is in the wilderness, something happens. John the Baptist is arrested. And it's probable by human terms that if Jesus had not been sent out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, 
that he would also have been arrested along with John the Baptist. But of course, God had something in mind. There's all kinds of anecdotal things we could say about the wilderness, but I want to say something today, and I want some of you to hear this loud and clear because I believe there's people here today that need to hear this. The wilderness moments in your life can be as much for your protection as they are for your preparation for the next mission that God has for your life. Listen, no one likes the wilderness. It's hot, it's dusty, it's hard to find water, it's hard to get comfortable when you sit down or when you go to have a time to rest. Your, your mind can play tricks on you. There's times when you feel left alone by God. There's times when you feel like God's never going to speak to you again. He's never going to work in your life again. And you feel stuck in whatever it is that you're dealing with every day. And you feel like you're walking in circles day after day after day. But there are times when the spirit of God leads you into a wilderness period in your life to prepare you for something you don't even know about yet and perhaps to protect you to protect you from taking the wrong opportunity, to protect you from others who want to harm you. And even in a time of preparation and protection, the scriptures say that he makes highways in the desert, that he'll be a refuge, a provider, a strong tower. His presence will never leave you. And when you get to the end of your rope, you will find him there every time. And so Jesus leaves out from where he was baptized, most likely along the the north side of the Dead Sea where the Jordan River comes in there. That's where John the Baptist hung out and did most of his ministry. And he goes on this 120 mile walk up to the Sea of Galilee. He could have done it shorter, but when he comes out of the wilderness, remember John's been arrested, so he retreats a little bit to Galilee, to his home in Nazareth. And everyone in Nazareth loves him. They are so proud of him for about five verses. And then Jesus quotes a couple of things from the Old Testament and he applies it to them and they get pretty upset at him, so upset that they lead him out of the city and Nazareth is on a hillside and they intend to throw him off the hill. And Jesus says, no, boys and girls, not today. That's not happening. And I don't know what he did, but the scriptures just say he just walked right out of there and they were not going to kill him today. And so then he goes from Nazareth about 40 miles to Capernaum in the Sea of Galilee. It's fascinating to see Jesus take this ark and he's teaching the whole time. There may have been some miracles during this time. Some that we don't know about. Some that are alluded to. Two of John's disciples, Andrew and John, two of John the Baptist's disciples, Andrew and John, they have actually been listening in to him. Then he gets to Capernaum and he does what he's been doing in town after town after town. He goes to the synagogue and he teaches. And people are saying he's teaching with authority. Mark actually uses the word authority taken from the word author as in this is original. The things that he's teaching we have never heard before. He's teaching with with power and, and things are happening and word is spreading. Scriptures say word is spreading far and wide about the teaching and the things that he's doing. He comes into the synagogue. There's someone in the synagogue who's Possessed by a demon, he cast that out. So things are are buzzing in Capernaum. One of the gospels tells us, it's hard to look at these in, in order and figure out exactly what happened, but one of the gospels tells us before we get to our main passage today that he goes to Peter's, we would know him as Peter, his mother-in-law's house, and she's sick with something, and he heals her. It's I want you to understand, there is a lot already going on. 
There's been a lot happening on this 120 mile walk that we can't even begin to cover. And maybe in your groups this week, you can compare the four gospels and just read together and just see all the different things that were happening. You'll find that Mark covers things real succinctly. So does John. Matthew and Luke give you a little more detail, but Mark's writing down what Peter told him to write down and Peter's kind of a quick moving guy. And then we get to where Jesus has landed now outside of Capernaum. Remember, this city is buzzing now because he's a good teacher. He's done at least one miracle, maybe two already in this town. Things of word is spread all over the hillside of the things that he's been doing. And now he's outside of Capernaum. Just two miles to the west, there's a little place called the Seven Springs. It's where seven natural springs run into the Sea of Galilee. And we'll be talking about the Sea of Galilee a a lot this year because it's so much where Jesus' ministry happened. It actually is kind of, it's pretty small. It's kind of shaped like a harp. It's fed by the Jordan River. The Jordan River starts uh, many, many miles to the north around Caesarea Philippi and comes down from the Golan Heights and the, the area around here is so fertile. There's so many things that grow here. And so as the Jordan River brings things into the Sea of Galilee, it is a great place for fishing. Anybody can catch fish in the Sea of Galilee. If you want fish, you go to a town around the Sea of Galilee. I could go to the Sea of Galilee with my Batman pole and I could catch fish. I mean, it can happen for you here. It doesn't matter if you're in a boat. It doesn't matter if you're casting a net from shore. There's tons of fishermen and they're all doing pretty well in this area. You just cast your net, make sure you're out of everybody else's way, give each other space, and then just catch your fish, pull them out, mend your nets, and they do this day after day after day. And this particular place where the seven springs dump into the Sea of Galilee, I want you to see. Here's a a picture of this that we have the opportunity to to see as well. It's beautiful. It's an incredible area. It's so so rich. And I mean, anybody would have a successful and wonderful day in that spot. And it's in that spot where Jesus is standing in Matthew chapter four, verse 18. Matthew chapter four, verse 18, we're gonna pick it up. And it says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, it means rock, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him, and going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his little brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them, And immediately, there's that word again, immediately they left the boat and their father, have a nice day, dad, and followed him, Jesus. Now I grew up in the church and I have seen this story a couple of different ways. I mean, the first way is flannel graph. Anybody shout out for flannel graph? I mean, come on, you can still, (laughs) I didn't think I'd really get a shout out for flannel graph. That was weak, but fun. So, I mean, I... Flannel graph. And then I've seen video of this moment, like not live, but like people's recreations of this moment. I think it was actually a, a videotape when I saw it. And, but have you, I don't know if you've seen this, but Jesus is walking along the shore 
And it's a beautiful shore. It's not rocky like the Sea of Galilee actually is. It's, it's like he's walking in the Bahamas. And he's wearing a beautiful linen robe. His skin is perfect. And he looks like he's just left the salon. He's got that shoulder length, brown hair. He's Swedish. And he looks like, it looks like he chose to have the conditioning treatment before he left the salon. I mean, you just got, it's just bold coming out of there. I mean, he's just feeling good. And then all of a sudden he just walks up out of nowhere and he just appears to the fisherman. He says, follow me. And the video I saw with a kid made it look like, as a kid, made it look like it was like a Jedi mind trick or something. It was like they just could not help themselves. They just had never seen him before, but they will follow him in this moment. And I want you to understand that's not how it happened. They're doing their job. They're doing what they know to do. And this teacher with this remarkable reputation who has just come onto the scene and people are saying the craziest things about is standing next to them. And it's fun to compare the gospels because Luke actually tells us about something else that's going on to this scene. If you wanna flip over a couple books, you can do that. It's in Luke chapter five. We're gonna read just three verses here. They'll be on the screen if you would rather just do that. But look at this for just a moment. And when he had finished speaking, or we didn't know that, but he actually came to that shore to speak. He said to Simon, that would be Simon Peter, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. Their nets were breaking. And I say, wait, wait, wait. I thought you said you could take your Batman pole out into the Sea of Galilee and you could catch fish. And I'm telling you, that's true. The miracle has already started the night before and the fact that these experienced fishermen in one of the most vital areas of the Sea of Galilee are not catching fish. And here comes Jesus. Why would an experienced fisherman who's had a rough night do anything that any man would ask him to do. Well, they've heard of him. So this idea that they immediately follow, we'll get to in a moment, but I want you to understand it wasn't because he came out of nowhere with a tractor beam. It's because this guy has asked us to follow him. You see, it was customary that if you wanted to follow a rabbi, that you would ask their permission. And just these four guys, two of them have already asked someone, John the Baptist, Andrew and John have already been followers of him. And now he's been arrested. He's gone. The other two, Peter and James are most likely too old to ask a rabbi for this honor. In fact, Peter is already married. Those two guys probably asked some rabbi in the past if they could follow that particular rabbi and were probably rejected. So they were sent back to their father's house, which was not too bad a deal, to work the family business 
And so that's why they're fishermen. And now in this moment, after a night of not catching fish, what's up with that? Jesus gives them some instructions on how to catch. And Peter's reaction is, I am not worthy of you. I don't want to have anything to do with you because of me. It's not you, it's me. But you need to get as far away from me as you possibly can. They would not dare ask to follow someone like Jesus. And so he asked them. Just two words. Follow me. The word that Mark uses in the same account, I hope you'll look at it in your groups this week. And the Greek word would actually translate, come after me. Again, Peter is telling Mark what to say. Come after me. We're going on a journey and people who would read or hear the words come after me or even follow me, it would remind them of, of something in Jewish tradition at the time that if you were following a rabbi, you, were, you would follow behind him everywhere he went so close because you didn't want to miss out on anything that he was saying. You did not want to miss a thing. You didn't want to miss a moment. From the moment you began to follow a rabbi, they called you, the rabbi becomes the goal. He becomes the goal. They could not possibly have had any idea what the future would bring. All they know is that this rabbi is calling. He's asking us to follow. And that is where calling begins. We have a tendency to jump ahead when we think about calling in life. Well, what do you want me to do? And we spend all this time and energy and we read books trying to figure out What does God want me to do? And I I want you to hear this loud and clear. Before you can ever be called to do something for Jesus, you are to come to Jesus. And then the rest of your life will flow out of that. This is the very essence of discipleship. And we could talk about all different kinds of aspects of, of calling today, but I want you to hear this loud and clear. It's not so much that God wants you to do anything for him, although we'll talk about that in a moment. It's not about what you're going to do for him. It's that he is calling you to himself and everyone is to heed that call. Every single one of us. You see, if I were just to tell you today, we're just going to be talking about the calling of the disciples. Some of you would check out right away. You're like, that's not for me. Maybe you associate calling with like a ministerial calling, being a pastor or being a missionary or whatever. Maybe you associate calling with the idea of being some type of super Christian and, and you, you got to be able to, to, you know, know the Bible cover to cover and all this kind of thing. It's not about what you know. In fact, Jesus' call disciples was really unusual because other rabbis, it would have just been about, I'm going to just tell you everything I know. But rather with Jesus, it's come on a journey with me. I mean, really, he could have said, come on an adventure with me. It's going to be quite a ride. But just come after me. I'm not asking you to do anything but follow me. And that call is extended to every single person in this room. Today, as we read the scripture together, church, Jesus is saying, follow me. Follow me today. Not have you crossed the line of faith and trusted Jesus to be your savior. But follow me today. 
What do you want me to do? (laughs) You never know what a day is going to bring with Jesus. But it's going to be awesome. And it's going to be for his glory and for his kingdom to come first. And it will work out for your good. The very essence of discipleship is to center yourself around a person. To answer the call to follow Jesus is to order every area of your life around him, to order your family around the person of Jesus by loving one another the way that Jesus loved his disciples and loved the church. It's to order your finances around him so that you understand that everything that you have comes from him. It's by taking every life decision that comes your way and seeking him first so that everything else can be added to you. The what of your life, no matter what it is, will be directly related to who you are following. And when you hit adversity or opposition or injustice, the rescue will not be found in doing something different, on changing your vocation. The rescue will be found in remembering who called you in the first place. You'll have to come back to the shores of Galilee in your life over and over again, where you first heard him teaching, where you first saw him work and where you first heard him say, follow me. Say, I'm willing to follow him. So once I understand the who, then what is it he wants me to do? Well, we can look at what he wanted the disciples to do and this was unique to them and this is important. It's unique to them. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. What an odd phrase. He's not quoting anything from the Old Testament. It's not a phrase that we can, found in, that we can find in antiquity that's being used anywhere else. I'm sure there were a lot of fishing terms around this area. These guys, a lot of them were from Bethsaida, which means house of fish. It's right down the road. I mean, there's fish everywhere in this area. He says, we want you to be fishers of men, but it's unique to these guys. When it comes to calling, Jesus is saying, listen, guys, I'm going to take what you're good at. I'm going to take what you love and we are going to apply it to your life unlike anything you've ever heard or experienced before. And God is going to do more than you could ever ask or dream about or imagine if you will follow me. I mean, everybody, every single person on the planet has a unique calling from God. And he may call you to one thing in one season and something different in another, but every single person has a calling from God. Author Pete Richardson says it this way. Your calling will be found at the intersection of your God-inspired heart and your God-given talents. For those of you that think God wants you to change, to And it's in such a way that you become a cookie cutter version of something else. That's completely false. Now he will change you. He will author something new in your life and it will be better than anything you could have ever done with your life. But he wants you, he wants to take what you're passionate about because he put it there. He wants to take the talents that you have because he gave you that ability And he wants you to discover your calling that way. I want you to hear this quote once again. Author Pete Richardson, listen to this. He's gotta be a great guy. His name's almost as good as mine. Listen really close. Your calling will be found at the intersection 
of your God-inspired heart and your God-given talents. It reminds me of what King David says in Psalm 139. He says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm unique. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. If you want to find your calling, you just answer the question, what do you love? What are you most passionate about? What makes you feel most alive? The creator gave you those things. He has wired you the way that he has to give you the opportunity to do things for his glory and for his kingdom that will work out for your good in the end as you follow him. And some things are already built in, by the way. If you are married, then you are called by God to be a husband or a wife. And to do it in such a way that it honors Jesus, to love them in such a way that you're demonstrating your love for Jesus in the middle of that. If you are a parent, hello, you are called by God to be a mom or a dad. Don't you dare try to weasel your way out of that one. And you parent those kids and you point them to Jesus in such a way that if Jesus were to knock on your door and say, hey, what do your kids think about me? He would, they would say, they love you because you're the reason why I'm the best dad on this street. Absolutely. With everything you've got. If you have a job, I didn't tell you to go get a different job so it fits Jesus's requirements. If you have a job, then you are called to be the best at your job. They ought to be talking about you because it's like you're not doing your job for them, wink, wink. You're doing it for your creator. There's something special about the way he puts a project together. No one else puts that kind of effort and time into it. There's something special about the way she teaches that classroom full of kids, about how he teaches that classroom full of kids. It's like he's motivated by something supernatural. You have been called to carry his name into that boardroom or that classroom or that factory floor or wherever he has called you. And as you follow him day after day, he can take even the mundane and make it better than you could ever ask or imagine. You say, man, I really wish he'd call me to something else. I'm tired of my boss. I love Jesus, but come on. If you're gonna talk about calling, get me out of this thing really and truly, okay? He might change it. At some point, he he might change what you're doing, but he's not going to change it because of your bad attitude. He's not going to change it because you've burned every bridge. He's not going to change it because you have created such a bad reputation for yourself in that place. That's called getting fired. He might change it because you're the best at that and he needs you to go be great and put him on display somewhere else. That's what it means to follow follow the calling of God at your workplace every single day. First Corinthians chapter 12, the apostle Paul says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. When you follow Jesus, he will take you places you never expected. 
You will have the highest highs. You'll have the lowest lows. At times you will think that what God has given you is too hard or maybe even too great. And when you get really good at it, you might think you are being completely overwhelmed by God. You will get uncomfortable. You will get everything you wanted. And then you'll say, God, it's too complicated. Can we just stay here? I'm gonna stay in this lane for a while. You're gonna be tempted to define what God wants you to do from today for the rest of your life, but it cannot be done. Listen, there is no formula for this. There is no map for this. There is only a compass and his name is Jesus. And as you follow him day after day after day, new and fresh day after day, he will show you which way to go every time. But only if you agree to follow him every day. And the word for that is surrender. Surrender. That's what the disciples did on that shore. These were not poor fishermen. Most likely business was pretty good until Jesus showed up. They left family. They left vocation. They dropped all of the what in their life that would get in the way of them following the who. And if you're looking for purpose today, if you're looking for meaning today, if you need to be energized today, I love what author Rebecca Lyons says. She says, meaning always follows surrender. And surrender is not weakness. I know it can have a a negative connotation, but when you surrender to someone who is good, then nothing but good will come from your surrender. Surrender gives you the power to overcome suffering. Surrendering to the who unlocks your identity and it helps you realize that the past cannot hold you, trials cannot destroy you and that your future is sure because you're not surrendered to a what, you're surrendered to who and the who that I am surrendered to has already won the day, he's already resurrected, he's already conquered and made it possible for me to live a life that overwhelmingly conquers day by day and that's why I surrender to him. And he is ready to assume full responsibility for the life wholly yielded to him, one great pastor said. But you'll never do anything for him until you're willing to surrender to him. Why would I do that? Because he can do more with your life than you ever could out of his love for you more than you could ever ask for, dream for, or imagine. They've seen him before. They've heard the teachings before. They just didn't have the courage to follow him. And so he appears today, this area, two miles west of Capernaum. And he says, follow me. And I'll make you fishers of men. And then what's the next word? Immediately, they drop their nets. Immediately, they drop their current plans. Immediately, they drop their security. But surrender has to be done over and over and over again. They could never have imagined what the next three years would bring and might have said no 
by the way. I mean, they got to be a part of some pretty amazing things. Peter got to walk on water. That's cool. The fish and bread miracle, if you know that one, that's pretty remarkable. I mean, blind people received their sight. Lame people walked. Kids loved them everywhere they went. I mean, crowds mobbed around them. And then they got to Jerusalem three years later. Things got a little dicey. That was a, that was a rough week. And on Thursday night of that week, really Friday morning for them, Jesus is betrayed by Judas, someone who had heard those two words, follow me. And Peter that night, who was such a strong guy, I mean, Jesus had given him the nickname, the rock right away, such a a strong man's man. You would think he could stand up to anybody or anything in a A little girl asks him if he's a follower of Jesus and he says no. And he ends up going on to deny Jesus three times that night before the death of the Savior. He's crucified. And he rose again. I mean, he couldn't have laid that out three years earlier. They have seen him twice. You would think they would be so excited that they would be rushing out to spread the word that Jesus is risen, that they would be all over the countryside already. They would be spreading the word. But instead, in John chapter 21, can I show you where they are? They're right here. They went back to fishing. I don't really blame them but they've picked their nets up again. And then Jesus comes onto the shoreline, John chapter 21, verse five. They didn't know it was him at first. And Jesus said to them, children, wonder how Peter took that one. Do you have any fish? They all answered him, no. Probably the second time in their history they haven't caught fish on the Sea of Galilee. They should have been tipped off to something. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And then John says, now we know who it is. Well, well done. I'm glad you figured that out. And what does Peter do? He jumps out of the boat. What is it with this guy and jumping out of the boat? But that's what he did. He jumped out of the boat to get to Jesus. Everybody else just comes up in a boat. It seems like they all get there about the same time. They have to use Peter to pull the nets up because he's probably the strongest one in the group. I mean, it's it's fascinating to read this passage of John chapter 21. They get onto the shore and Jesus has already got a fire going because he knew they were gonna catch fish. And there's Peter, who's been fishing again. Hey, Pete. Yes, Jesus. Do you love me? Yeah, I love you. That's an interesting talk, man to man, isn't it? But seriously, Peter's cleaning fish, goes back, do the thing. Hey, Pete, Brock, you love me? 
we just have this conversation? Yes. Peter, feed my sheep. Clean some more fish. Hey, Peter. Yes, Jesus. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. This is the third time that I've gotten to tell you. He had betrayed him, denied him, excuse me, three times a few days earlier. Peter, I want you to know something. Your death is not going to be a great one. In the future, you're going to be led away in a way that you don't want to be led away. And you're going to be killed in a way that you don't want to be killed. In fact, Peter was killed on a cross and he asked, according to tradition, he asked to be crucified upside down so that he would not be crucified in the same manner as his Lord. And after Jesus gets done telling him that, John 21, 19, and after saying this, he said to him, two words, follow me. Peter, it's not about the what. It's about me. And every day, I need you to drop your net. And every day, I need you to be willing to follow me immediately wherever I call you to go. Over and over and over again, whatever it is that you're hanging on to that gets between you and me. Whatever it is that prevents you from walking with me wherever I tell you to go, would you just drop it over and over and over again? Let there be nothing in your hands but surrender. Nothing. And where I tell you to go, will you go? What I tell you to say, will you say? Have your way. Would you bow your heads with me? If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he is asking you to follow him. He is asking you to come after him. And he demonstrated his love for you by coming to this world and dying on the cross for you. And so now he calls to you. Don't resist what the spirit of God might be doing in your heart. If you would pray in your own words right now, God, I believe that this Jesus was for me. I believe that he came, that he lived, that he died on the cross for me, that he's resurrected, that I might live. I believe in this, God. I don't really know much else right now, but I will follow Jesus. If you prayed in your own words to become a follower of Jesus, to get on that journey, to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus, to walk with him, to come after him, would you right now in your chair, would you take the card that came in? There's a little tear out on the side. Would you take the opportunity to fill that out. Hand it in our, in our atrium on your way out at our help center or give it to our prayer team on the way down uh, on the other side of the stage after the service. You can come down and see them. For all the believers in this room with heads bowed and eyes closed, what is it you need to drop? Do you love me? He says. Of course I do. 
Do you love me? Westridge? Yes. Do you love me? Then drop everything. Don't let any shame, don't let any guilt, don't let your feelings of unworthiness, don't let anything you've done in your past, don't let any of that prevent you now from following me with everything you've got. Let every chain fall. Let every shackle come off so that you can come after me every day. I want you to be close. I don't want you to miss anything. That's the call today. Follow me. God, teach us to call you. Teach us to follow you. Teach us to come after you, to answer your call. And Lord, let nothing stand in the way of that today. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.